The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson. And I am just stunned that we are wrapping up our third season of the show. Back when Price and I launched this baby in June 2020, I never thought we'd still be on the air at this point. I thought maybe we'd do a few episodes, see how it goes, maybe call it good. But thanks to you, our listeners, and to our fantastic guests who grace us with their time and expertise, here we are. To wrap up the season and put a bow on 2021, we thought it would be fun to do a Greatest Hits episode. These are some of our favorite clips from the season. I really wish I could pick them all. This was like choosing between which kid is my favorite, which every parent knows changes from day to day. Kidding. I love my kids equally, of course, especially if they're listening. And I love this show. Thank you for making me into a podcast host and thank you for your support. Without further ado, I thought it would be appropriate to kick things off with our guests who brought a rural perspective to the table. Third-generation farmer Corey Whitman-Stitt, someone I had the pleasure of working with in the U.S. Senate and who was back home in Idaho running her family's farm, she noted the shifting awareness in the agriculture industry on the need to combat climate change. It's been fascinating to watch the evolution from, you know, like you said, 10 to 15 years ago when any talk of climate change was almost taboo in, in the agriculture industry. You know, if you went to a, a farm organization meeting and, and wanted to talk about climate, it was just a non-starter. You'd be laughed out of the room. Um, and I think that comes came from, at that time, a fear that it was going to go the regulation route. Um, nobody wanted to be regulated into adopting a practice that was going to be costly and, and not productive for their operation. Um, and I think that, you know, those are legitimate fears at that time. But what's happened is, is you know, the tsunami of public opinion related to climate on one side and farmers in the last 10 years seeing firsthand some of the impacts of a change in climate, be it wet or wet, cold or cold, hot or hot, dry or dries, um, that, that even I have experienced having been back on the farm for five, six years. We've seen that whole range of extremes on our operation. I think that has brought a lot of farmers to the table to say, what's actually going on here and how can we be part of the solution? And that change, that change in mind frame from the fear of regulation to, oh, we, we actually can be at the table to, to provide solutions has been a game changer. Um, and now farmers are, are wanting to proactively engage in the discussion. Likewise, California winemaker Bart Hansen from Dane Cellars explained how climate change impacts the grapes he tends. I mean, I think what we're seeing is that um, we're not getting as cold during the winter. So things are not going as dormant. Mm -hmm. You know, once uh, when a vine goes to sleep, it starts storing energy for the following year. And um, if we would start to see spring, start to see um, bud break, let's call it in, um, in end of March, early April, um, bud ba- break has been significantly earlier in past years, not every year, but in past years. And, and we always see 
bud break, and that means when the vine is starting to awaken, you know, just like on any tree, um, when you see those first blooms, um, it's, it's gotten earlier and earlier. So what that has done, and I don't know if I'm answering your question here, but, but let's see if I can get around to it. What that's done is made frost um, a bigger concern for sure yeah. um, because it doesn't mean just because it's warmer doesn't mean we're not going to have frost. I mean, that's the weather patterns, right? Um, so frost has been a bigger concern um, this year in France, um, you know, on April 7th, I, I do, I did write down some notes, so I had the dates right. Um, but you know, Europe has had, had record highs for the month of March. Um, and then on April 7th, they had a, a, a record low of 18 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. Um, and, and so they went through this entire um, frost season where, you know, some vineyards lost as much as 80% of their crop. That is, you know, weather related, right? Like they had a cold system that came in and they couldn't even use um, systems to move the air because the the inversion layer um, wasn't there. It didn't get warmer. So mixing the air didn't help bring high, hot, warmer air from higher altitude. Um, and in, and and so is that weather or is that climate? Well, I think it's climate that shows up in the face of weather. And listeners, don't forget to check out his amazing wines. They're definitely a special occasion wine, but you will not regret it. In a year that saw more conservative interest in climate change policy on Capitol Hill, driven by um, Utah Rep. John Curtis, we are pleased to have back on the show our dear friend Nick Huey, who had this to say about Mr. Curtis and his evolution on the issue of climate change. Yeah, so we had, I mean, we had Mr. Curtis on last time, right? And he was, yeah, a long time ago when I first started talking to him, he wouldn't say the words climate change because we were in Utah, but he would talk about air quality because we were in Utah. So that was where he started. Um, and I think he realized that he needed to create a safe space for us to talk about the real issue, which is climate change, because not everyone deals with air quality, right? It's not a, it's, that's not a problem for everyone. So he realized he needed to create a safe space and it wasn't there for him. And so he started poking around looking for how to create that environment. I think he found a few allies and, and started to build something. Um, and it's been successful. I mean, who would have thought that there would be so many people that joined in to this conservative climate caucus right more than that. 70 now i think i haven't looked yeah it's, just, but, it's yeah. growing like crazy and and it's hard to argue that that is a bad thing right i don't care how jaded you are against the republican party republicans who represent roughly half of the government talking about climate change regularly and coming to the table in that way is exactly the kind of process progress we want to see with more than 70 lawmakers now part of the Conservative Climate Caucus that Curtis founded, this is a pretty significant step forward. And that is important to conservative activists like our friend Jim Tolbert. Yeah, I am, I am still very much looking to use my voice as a conservative to talk to other people I know and to make sure that, that there are voices out there articulating um, how we can address climate change. Uh, in a constructive fashion that matches conservative values. I am also really focused on um, continuing to approach members of Congress. I think that the solution needs to involve federal legislation without controlling borders. States have a really hard time of putting meaningful policies in place. And uh, internationally, it's, it's the countries that need to be negotiating with each other. So I view our, our point of leverage as citizens of the United States is 
as working with our members of Congress to do something constructive. And the path I've been taking lately is to look at approaching members of Congress as a donor. So in the past, I've spent a lot of time uh, approaching my three members of Congress um, as a constituent and engaging with them and uh, building relationships with them. And I'm now exploring uh, what, how that works different if you're approaching members of Congress as a donor or with groups of donors as opposed to as constituents. Slight variation. Prompted by listener feedback and requests that came in through our Ask Bob Anything series, we delved into the issue of nuclear energy, inviting the American Nuclear Society's Steve Nesbitt to debunk the bad rep that nuclear power has in some circles. First of all, I guess I would say I want to point out that nuclear energy fits into the array of choices that's available for low carbon generation. Um, If you look at the net life cycle generation of hydrogen per megawatt of electricity generated, for example, um, what you find is that nuclear energy, solar energy, wind energy, they're all very, very low. You might say, well, why aren't they zero? Well, if you if you run a nuclear power plant, you're not burning fossil fuels, so you're not emitting carbon dioxide. However, in the process of building the plant itself, uh, pouring concrete, making steel, things like that, of course, carbon is used and makes its way into the atmosphere. And similarly with solar cells or wind windmills and things like that, the same thing happens. But um, solar, wind, and, and nuclear are all very low. So from a carbon generation perspective, they're all great choices as we try to work our way into a a clean, no carbon future. Uh, Of course, nuclear power has been around for a long time, uh, and it has its detractors out there. Um, What I can say about that is is that nuclear energy has uh, consistently shown that it is among the safest ways of generating electricity that you've got. Of course, there is, there's no such thing as a, as a technological activity that has zero risk associated with it. But nuclear energy has a great safety record. If you look in the United States, for example, you know, we have been, we've been running nuclear power plants since the 1950s and people, no one has been hurt due to emissions of radiation from nuclear power plants, either in normal operation or in accident. As former New Jersey, New Jersey Governor Christy Todd Whitman noted in her episode. Well, we need to get the facts out. Um, unfortunately, it seems these days the facts really don't matter, which is very unfortunate. But I did chair a group on nuclear energy for a while and co-chaired it. And when we found when we went into communities and held community wide meetings and answered their questions, because they're very real questions and people have a legitimate reason to be asking them. There are good answers, though. Our nuclear industry is one of the, is the safest in the world. And if you look even at Three Mile Island, <clears throat> that was a meltdown that was largely caused by the operators there trying to override the automatic system. But having said that, those operators who were actually in the facility at the time of the meltdown, they have been followed since then. And there are no cancer clusters. I mean, they were not exposed to anything. That's how safe it was. It was a wake-up call because it's never anything you want to have to see in a nuclear reactor, obviously. 
and they took it very seriously and we became much more protective uh, through regulation by the <clears throat> Nuclear Regulatory Commission, but still our record is really, really good and it's a very safe thing. Having said that, I don't believe we'll ever see any more large nuclear reactors coming online. They just, the cost, the time delays, uh, especially because of the NIMBY, when people don't, don't want to listen to the facts. Mm -hmm. But the small modular reactors offer a huge opportunity. And those can be, those are made, basically put together inside. They come as modules modular reactors. They can be placed down and, and they can power uh, a small city. They can power a business. They can be used around the world, especially in countries that are um, being stressed for energy and are going to the lowest cost because they don't have the money. So they're, they're using the fossil fuels and depending on them. And you'd start to replace that. We can be building those small modular reactors. That's a big field for uh, job creation and growth. And back to Nesbitt for a quick primer on modular nuclear reactors. If you look at the history of nuclear power plants, what's happened is that over the time of the 1950s and 1960s and 1970s and 1980s, they got bigger and bigger because there was economies of scale associated with making one plant that generated a lot of electricity in one fell swoop. And, uh, and that was a benefit in many ways. But what we've come to realize is that maybe smaller is better in a number of different uh, applications. So, for example, um, small modular reactors take advantage of the fact that the physical size of the reactor and the plant is smaller. And instead of having to have a big construction project for many, many years at a site in order to build a reactor, you can build the reactor and key components in a, um, in a factory and then ship it to the site depending on the particular design of, of that reactor. Um, because they're smaller, they take advantage of what we call inherent and passive safety features. So with today's plants, we rely on um, electrically powered pumps and valves and things like that to provide for cooling in the unlikely event we have a problem with the plant. Um, with the many of the small modular reactor concepts, with the inherent and passive safety features, they don't need any of that, what we call active safety features. They have passive features, natural circulation, cooling, and things of that nature that basically is, they just sit there and, and, uh, and watch it and uh, um, the plant shuts itself down and, and all is well. To wrap up the topic of technology, longtime friend of the pod, Andrew Holland, came to talk to us in his new capacity leading the Fusion Industry Association. I always appreciate an episode where I learn something new, and Andrew definitely taught me about the benefits of fusion energy. So it is a nuclear energy, but nuclear fusion is uh, pushing the atoms together. Fission is taking heavy atoms and splitting them apart. So fusion is, uh, you know, the the parts of nuclear power that are great, you know, all sorts of available energy without the downsides. There's no long-lived radioactive waste. There's no threat of a runaway meltdown. There is, you know, you don't have to put waste in any sort of long-term depository or anything like that. It's a, a fairly, it's a, it's a 
you know, it's the ultimate energy source. It, it is sustainable energy that is always on, always available. It's something that, you know, once, once we have commercial fusion power, uh, we anticipate it'll be like turning on a light switch. You know, you can, you can turn them on, you can turn them off, you can ramp up and down, you can, uh, you know, deal with a modern grid and make, make a modern grid a, a it's a firm source of baseload power that is zero carbon, zero emissions, zero waste. Uh, you know, its fuel is found in seawater. It is deuterium, uh, an element, a, a, a part of hydrogen uh, found in seawater. It is, you know, it's the perfect energy source. Listeners, I choose guests for the show in a variety of ways. Sometimes our executive director, Bob Inglis, runs across someone he thinks would make a good guest. Often, I choose from my personal network of friends and contacts, always with the idea in mind that I want the conversation to be interesting to you. Well, friends, Renee Lertzman was on the show for you and for me. In her professional capacity, she helps guide organizations organizations on how to manage climate anxiety, and I'd asked her about the pressure of individual uh, responsibility. She offers us this advice. I think the, the reframe I would offer is that um, it's not a binary anymore of individual responsibility and collective action and kind of system change that I think our thinking tends to toggle between the individual versus the system. And if you really think about it, that's a, that's a construct. So in actuality, we are not just individuals. We are, we individuals make up collectives, make up societies, make up organizations. And so the way I think of it is um, it all starts with the individual, basically, you know, we are all that kind of that unit, the, the basic unit of, um, of how we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we're doing, right? Like hands, head, heart, start with the individual. But what's incredibly important is that we keep that in the context of the bigger picture so that it's not just me, it's we. Mm-hmm. And I know it's, you know, it's one thing to say that it's another thing to really put that into practice, but it's a, it's a, lens that we can just keep trying on, which is, um, it's not just me, it's we. It's not just me, it's we is a quote I'm going to be reminding myself of quite frequently. And likewise, my friend Courtney Piper, who is crushing the work she does in Tennessee, a state that until I got to know her, I had no idea was top of the leaderboard for the advanced energy economy. We found we have measured Tennessee's advanced energy economy over the last nine years now. And every single year we have found it has grown by leaps and bounds. And our last two reports that we put out, we found that Tennessee's advanced energy economy, its growth outpaced the growth of our overall state economy. So this is big business and it's real opportunity for us. Well, we know that Tennessee's advanced energy economy, as of our latest report in August of 2021, employs about 394 Tennesseans, 394,000 Tennesseans, contributes about $46 billion to our state's GDP and includes over 20,000 businesses. 
Absolutely. And ever since I got into this business and I started the Tennessee Advanced Energy Business Council, there were three big things that really stood out to me in the state of Tennessee, which I think is why we are able to grab such a large share of this advanced energy economy and it keeps growing. Also, in a year that saw the passing of my old boss, former Virginia Senator John Warner, I have been reflecting on the time I spent working with and for him. And that, plus new reports from the Defense and Intelligence Agencies warning of the threats of climate change on our national security, led me to old friend Sherry Goodman, who coined the idea that climate change is a threat multiplier. She recalled for us how she came up with this impactful description. I do. I I recall sitting around the conference room uh, at CNA with the members of the CNA Military Advisory Board as we were coming to closure on our first report, dotting every I and every T, and then thinking about, you know, how do we communicate this somewhat complicated report, very deliberately written in language that was relevant to the national security community? In other words, we knew we wanted to write from the perspective of a warfighter uh, and a national security professional, uh, because the very thing we knew at the outset was we were not tree huggers. So we knew that. In fact, we didn't get into it for that reason at all. Um, and so we needed a way to communicate it. And force multiplier, for example, is a term commonly used to talk about technology or other enablers that help make our force more effective. So this was essentially a play on that concept, a threat multiplier, where climate change acts to exacerbate or accelerate other threats we already face, whether it's terrorism, as we've just discussed, or weapons of mass destruction becoming more accessible, falling into the wrong hands. Um, extremism, now we have seen that in recent, uh, in recent times as well, as people become more desperate and fall prey to um, sort of other causes. 2021 was a year that saw our counterparts at Students for Carbon Dividends expand to launch High Schoolers for Carbon Dividends, with more than 700 co-founders from across the country and on both sides of the aisle. This new organization shows the strength and importance of the next generation of voters and leaders. Take a listen to what ex- inspired New Hampshire high school senior Catherine Mezzalingua to get involved with the Carbon Dividend push. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I've always been very interested in politics. And um, and so, you know, my interest was there. I just wasn't, you know, really, um, really committed to it until, um, you know, I had met Rowie and I got a little bit more, you know, interested in the organization. So I took on more of a leadership role and, um, and through meeting students from all over, um, leading onboarding calls, um, leading different state teams uh, over the summer, you know, working um, as a summer intern, I, I really was able to dive deep into the movement and through talking to so many students that were as interested as I came to be, I think that's what, that's what, um, you know, propelled my interest even further. Um, and so I think a lot of it has been talking to other students and, and feeding off of their energy. I think one of the perks of being a part of an organization that includes over 700 students across, um, across the U S is that you meet so many different people. And I'm going to wrap up this season's highlights episode with wise words from our final guest of the season, climate scientist Marshall Shepard, who co-hosts Weather Geeks as well as teaches at the University of Georgia. 
you know, it's, it's certainly in December here and, you know, it's getting cold and I'll certainly get a tweet or two saying, hey, Dr. Shepard, what do you mean climate is changing? It's, it's snowing here in Boston. And I'll say, well, it's Boston and it's about to be winter. You're supposed to get snow. And so it really illustrates something that, you know, I talk about quite a bit. People have this sort of misunderstanding of weather and climate. And so the analogy you may be referring to is this, some, this idea that I use that weather is your mood and climate is your personality. And people say, well, what do you mean by that? I said, well, my mood today doesn't necessarily tell me anything about my personality. You've got to really spend some time with me and understand that. Uh, in the same way that a cold day or a snowy day tells us nothing about climate change. And the flip side of that, nor does a hot day. A hot day doesn't confirm that global warming or climate change is occurring either. We have to look at the long-term climate and trends to understand that. So uh, friend, I wrote something in Forbes recently. I said, friends don't let other friends determine climate change based on today's weather. Hello, 2022. I was waiting for you to, to welcome this next year in where we have a lot of exciting opportunities ahead of us. I'm just hoping I did that right, Chelsea. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm still in 2020. So when I think about the fact that it's 2022, like mentally I'm still in 2020, it's crazy. And I'm really trying hard to not think about the meme. I saw that 2022 is pronounced 2020 comma two t-o-o as in also like no not another 2020 we well, need something different well the people want something different this is the time that we should say instead of getting to 2022 we should say happy holidays you know merry christmas before we say happy new year but i guess happy holidays encompasses it all as uh, we are about to bark embark on 2022 in 2022 we'll bring a new season of the podcast season four which will be coming in early 2022 follow us on social media for dates to be announced when we will come back with season four but we will be coming back with a vengeance and make sure if you've got guest uh, suggestions for us for next season and season four coming in uh, 2022 that you let us know drop chelsea a line uh, we're easy to find republican.org Drop us a line, whoever you would like to hear. We're always taking listener suggestions because the podcast is about you, the listeners, not us putting it together, but you all who download, listen, subscribe every single week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all our other platforms, including you can listen at republican.org forward slash podcast, Chelsea Henderson. We are putting together our lineup. It's going to be great. I'm super excited, but you know what else I'm excited for? A little rest. So whether you are traveling or home or whatever your plans are for the next few weeks, just be sure to take some time for yourself. It can be a really stressful time of year, the holidays. And I know we've all had a lot of stress over the last few years. So don't let that compound. Just take a moment, have some nice deep breaths, and then whatever it is that, that helps you relax. Maybe it's taking a walk. Maybe it's petting your your cat or your dog or hopping on the phone with somebody special or having that glass of wine, whatever it is that's going to help you get through, um, take that for yourself, including you, Price. You've had a lot going on in your life. I hope you and your family are able to relax and have a restful holiday. 
Won't happen. A lot to do, a lot to get ready for in 2022. But uh, it, our members, our listeners, you know, everybody that's made, uh, including yourself, who has been the um, the fulcrum of this podcast, who has made it happen every single week. Um, incredible um, debt of gratitude to you and all your hard work. But you know, make sure uh, as we do every week, uh, pointing out a lot of new members: uh, Mark T in Michigan, Judy J in Arizona, David J in Utah, Eileen F in Maryland, and Greg D in Utah this week specifically. But thank you to all our new members who have um, signed up with us at Republican.org forward slash join. Not just the ones I just reeled off, but everybody that has signed on this year. And even the ones who've done so through the podcast, and that's going to pivot me to one more call for action is, you know, as you're with your, your family over the holidays, you know, yeah, we want you to take a step back and, and, and rest, recharge, uh, get your batteries ready for 2022. But climate change comes up at the table, or even if it, do, it doesn't, uh, if it does, suggest our podcast, The Eco Right Speaks, to maybe a family member that needs to uh, hear the message, the conservative gospel when it comes to climate change uh, in terms of a free enterprise, uh, our way of thinking and what we believe is the, is the manner forward. So if, it, I mean, if you end up getting in a dinner conversation, hopefully it's not uh, knives are drawn uh, at the dinner table talking about climate. Hopefully it's a nice civil conversation. And if uh, you've got a family member, again, that does need to hear the gospel and message that we uh, that we have here at Republican.org, suggest the podcast. And even if you don't have knives drawn and have that discussion, just if you have have a friend uh, that you just you would suggest the podcast, tell one person, tell one person. If you're a listener and you listen, this is the first time, or you've listened many times, just suggest the podcast to one person uh, between now and the start of 2022 or early in 2000 or 22 because. We'll have a new season coming. We've got a lot of episodes that clearly have been recorded that you can scroll back down through on the web and find anyone that might uh, might strike your fancy. But just all we ask, suggest EcoRight Speaks to one person to, so we can continue to grow and diversify our listenership, Chelsea. That's right. It would be the best gift to me ever. So uh, I'm. we're asking... Uh, for you to just take that one small step and, you know, especially with that person you might encounter over the holidays who could use um, a little bolstering. We have something for everybody, um, ag experts, national security, um, clean energy of all different sorts, um, business case for climate action. I mean, we really have something for everybody. So find our podcast, share it and tune in next year. Right, Price? Absolutely. Download, listen, subscribe, but make that call every single week. But it, we will end it by saying thank you. Thank you to all who have listened and downloaded on your phones, tablets, computers, and given us a little bit of time in your life uh, listening to a, a particular episode or, or whether you're an every week listener. We cannot thank you enough. And uh, Chelsea, I will just end it by saying happy holidays and happy new year. We will talk to you in 2022. Yes, sir. Happy everything, everyone. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.